That'd be great if you'll take care of that. Okay. Does anybody have any prayer requests? Our situation with mom. Uh, Brother Glenn mentioned their situation with his mom. Okay. Remember them. This is a very important time. And just knowing what to do to take care of her. Yeah, let's definitely remember Miss Bess. Um, trying to think. Need to remember Miss Ricker. I know they uh, said that she got to go to rehab, so hopefully she'll get to come home for Christmas. Right, so right. Let's remember that. Um, don't the family forget the, of Dean, the, the family of Dean Ledbetter uh, yeah. lives between my house and the church there on number nine. He passed away. And, okay. and I don't know Dean, but he's probably kinfolk because my mom was a lead better. And, uh, but his, he passed away. Don't know anything about the family, but uh, let's remember the lead better family too, Chad. Okay. Let's definitely remember them. And remember Brian, Brian's got the flu. Don't forget him. And I think Nolan Absolutely. was still a little bit sick. Right. So remember right. them. Uh, friend of ours. That we used to go to church with David Cheryl. He passed yesterday, so remember his wife and that family. Okay, Did you hear Brother Glenn? Chad? Yeah, remember the Cheryl family. Sure. Right. Any others? All righty. Well, let's pray. I must kind of grace to me, Father Lord. We thank you for just being good to us watching over us and taking care of us, dear God. We thank you for technology that allows us to get together when it may not seem feasible with everybody being sick and all. And we thank you so much for that, Lord. Dear God, we ask you to be with each and every one of the families that have lost loved ones here recently. The Cheryl family and the Ledbetter family continue to lift them up and strengthen them each day. Dear God, uh, ask you to remember Miss Ricker as she's uh, going to rehab right now. Hopefully she'll get to come home for Christmas. Continue to lift her up. Dear God, remember the best family, Lord, as um, they figure out what's what they're going to do in that situation, Lord. Lift that entire family up and strengthen them, dear God, as they fight through this. Dear God, I ask you to be with uh, Brian as he's fighting the flu, Lord. Lift him up, strengthen him and Nolan every day, dear God. And I thank you for taking care of uh, me and Shelby, Lord, and what you've done for us. And yes. continue to strengthen Tammy, Lord, as uh, she's yes. watching over us, Lord. Just continue to strengthen her each and every day, too. Lord, we thank you for all the yes, blessings Father. that you've done. I ask you to let New Hope be a light in the community and reach out to others in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank let's, you, Chad. Let's also, I was just going to mention right quick, uh, everybody pretty much knows, but don't forget, you know, they'll be there at the church uh, around 2 o'clock on Sundays for the ties, or you can mail them to Crystal's uh, house, and she can take care of that for us. I can't think of any other announcements other than uh, everybody wanted to remember that, you know, of course, with us going live on Zoom now, we're going to cancel what's going on the 20th, that Christmas service that night. And um, we'll just continue to do this right now. A tentative restart date looks to be January 10th. So we'll, we'll look at it and reevaluate it as we go. And I'll leave it up to Preacher Bill now. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, brother. Now, I'm not sure if I'm on this screen right here. Can you check this and see for me? Uh, if you will, turn with me, please, to the wonderful book of Genesis, the first book of the Word of God, which is, in reality, uh, the foundational. Uh, we're trying to get the screen set up here. It's, I think, ask Chad, can he see you? Can you see my full face? I don't want anybody to miss part of my face, Chad. That'd be sad. Is that better there? Right, we can't hear you, Chad. Terry's working on this. I'm so thankful we got people who know how to do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm catching about half the eyes, but other than that, you're looking good, preacher. Well, I appreciate that. But from my eyes up may be my best part of my face there. <laughs> Is that okay? Is that all right? 
Wonderful, yes. wonderful. Okay. okay, can you hear me all right, Chad? The, the thing yes, sir. Okay, thank you, Terry. Thank you. Uh -huh. If you will turn with me, please, in the Word of God to uh, the first book of the Bible, the wonderful book of the beginnings, and that's what the word Genesis means. It means the beginning, and, and Genesis records for us the beginning, really, of all things, except the beginning of God. Uh, aren't you glad our Heavenly Father and His Christ, uh, they have no beginning. He is the great I Am. He is without beginning. He is without ending. And that's why the Jews uh, were really so concerned about Jesus because He called Himself the great I Am. In other words, He is God. He's God in human flesh. And uh, our security is in that. But man and the universe have a beginning, and that beginning is recorded for us in this wonderful book of Genesis. I'm going to read for you uh, Henry Morris in the Henry Morris Study Bible. I'm going to read for you his introduction to the book of Genesis. Let me just read this. This is so important. Dr. Morris says this, in a very real sense, the book of Genesis is the most important book in the world. For it is the foundation upon which all the other 65 books of the Bible have been based. When Jesus Christ, after his resurrection, gave a key Bible study to his disciples uh, on the way to Emmaus, he began with Genesis. The Bible says in Luke 24, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, beginning with the book of Genesis. And, and Morris continues to say, we would do well to follow his example. If we want to understand the New Testament, we need to understand Genesis because the New Testament contains at least 200 direct quotations or clear allusions to the events described in Genesis more than any other book in the Old Testament. All the great doctrines of Christianity, sin, atonement, grace, redemption, faith, justification, salvation, many others, are first encountered in Genesis, the greatest doctrine of all, the special creation of all things by the eternal self-existent God is revealed in the very first chapter of Genesis, the foundation of all foundations. It is hardly surprising, therefore, that the greatest attacks on the Bible have been directed against the integrity and authority of Genesis. But the only infallibly correct record of creation in primeval history is the book of Genesis. The importance of Genesis cannot be uh, overestimated, and that is so true. Now, uh, you can divide the book of Genesis, this book of the beginnings, into two major parts. The first part is Genesis chapters uh, 1 through 11, and this talks about the creation of man and how man was created in the image of God and after the likeness of God. He was created with a perfect relationship with God, but it also talks about the sin of man. Can you imagine how wonderful this world would be if Adam and Eve had not chosen to sin, but they sinned and they fell away from that perfect relationship with God. And then it talks about how God had to destroy the human race because of human sin, that mankind had gotten so wicked that it grieved the heart of God that he had even made man. And with that worldwide catastrophic flood, God destroyed the human race, uh, of course, with the exception of Noah and Noah's wife and Noah's uh, three sons and their wives, because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you glad tonight, precious child of God, that you and I have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You think about grace. Grace means God's unmerited favor. And we're saved by grace. We're sustained by grace. And we, when we get to heaven, our only testimony will be the amazing grace of God. But it's actually more than just God's unmerited favor. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, one man, one man can make a difference. Sometimes, precious child of God, you may feel like you're having to stand alone, but you'll never have to stand alone because God said, I'll never leave you. 
I'll never forsake you. Whatever you face in life, uh, he who is the great El uh, Shaddai, uh, and we're going to talk about that name in just a moment, uh, El Shaddai means the God who's more than enough, more than enough for what? He's more than enough for anything you face. Whatever you face as a child of God, you can lean on the Lord because underneath you are the everlasting arms of God. Thank God for his grace. God's unmerited favor, but it goes beyond that. God's grace is God's unmerited favor to those who deserve the exact opposite. That's why we, we compare grace and mercy. They're two uh, sides of the same coin. Grace is God giving to us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. Aren't you glad, precious child of God tonight? I am. I praise God. He's a God of grace and a God of mercy. And thank God that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, they were used by God to continue the human race. So chapters one through 11 of Genesis is the foundation really of our, of our existence as people on this earth. You'll never really understand the purpose and plan of God without understanding the first 11 chapters of Genesis. But thank God for his mercy and thank God for his grace. Now we, we're in chapter 17 of Genesis and turn with me there to Genesis chapter 17. We're studying in chapters 12 through 50 of Genesis, the four patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And of course, Joseph's uh, tribe was divided among his two sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. But the patriarchs were the leaders of the people, both spiritually and oftentimes materially. And let me just read this for you. Let me turn, if you will, you're in Genesis 17, keep your place there. But turn to Genesis 25. Turn to Genesis 25. And, and the record of Abraham initially is Genesis 12, 1 uh, through uh, Genesis 25, 7 and 8, which record for us the death of this great man of God, Abraham. And, and one of the glorious things, and I appreciate so much, is how candid the word of God is. These patriarchs were not perfect men. By far, they were not uh, perfect men. They were sinners, but they came into the family the same way we come into the family of God, by the grace of God. And aren't you glad tonight, precious child of God, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus because Jesus died on the cross for you. And when God looked at his son, Jesus, uh, died on the cross, he saw you and me and every person who would ever be saved because Jesus on the cross was dying in our place for our sins. And by his stripes, the Bible says that we are healed. We are healed spiritually, and we're going to be healed eternally. Uh, we were just, Brother Ben and Sister Terry and I were just talking a while ago, and I appreciate their letting me come here, and we just had a wonderful meal together. I love coming over here and sharing because of Terry's wonderful meals. But I appreciate their letting me come here and do the teaching. And then the next four Sunday mornings, we know right now we'll be teaching here on Sunday mornings at 11. And Chad and Tammy and Shelby have some special music for us. We'll take your prayer requests and then we'll be teaching uh, the word of God from here. But uh, uh, let me just read for you from Genesis 25, verses 7 and 8. This is the record of the death of this great man of God, Abraham. And remember Abraham, you think about Abraham and David, uh, who were the bookmarks of the children of Israel. They were, they were sinful men. And so the generations of Jesus in Matthew 1 and Luke 2 don't talk about the perfection of men. There is no such thing as the perfection of men. The only uh, two perfect people who lived as humans on this earth were Adam and Eve before they sinned. Of course, the Lord Jesus was absolutely sinlessly perfect. But listen to what the word of God says about the death of Abraham. I'm reading from Genesis 25 verses 7 and 8. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 103 score and 15 years. Uh, that's He lived to be 175 years old. And in the beginning of creation, man would live to be almost a thousand years old. Those are literal uh, four seasonal years, approximately the same year that we have today on our Roman Greco calendar. 
but as sin over the years had impact upon the human body, uh, man uh, gradually deteriorated in its lifespan. And so that today, if you have a person who lives to be 100 years old, that is, that is really something almost miraculous. Uh, most go home to be of the Lord. We trust by their faith in Christ. We know they do at a much early age. But Abraham lived to be 175 years old. Then I love what Genesis 25, 8 says about Abraham. Then Abraham gave up the ghost. He, he gave up the ghost. He, rele he released his spirit in the sense um, he breathed his last. And, and uh, Brother Glenn was sharing about the death of his dad. What a, what a glorious privilege it was to be there on those holy grounds when that dear man of God went home to, to be with the Lord. But Abraham gave up the ghost. His spirit was released from his body. He didn't die. Uh, his body died. And one day Abraham, like we, will get a glorified body like uh, the body of, uh, of Jesus, his glorified body. But he says he died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. I love that. Uh, I was thinking about that uh, early this morning. Uh, when I was studying this passage, he was gathered to his people. Just recently, I preached the, the funeral service for my one remaining sister. I had four sisters. One died as a little girl. I never knew her. But the other three grew up to adults, and I love them. They loved me, and, and uh, I preached all three of their funeral services. But what a, what a, a glorious truth to realize they're fully alive with my mom and dad in heaven. My four sisters and my mom and dad are fully alive. Uh, my, I have a lot of people in heaven like you do as a Christian family. And one day uh, we'll be gathered to our people in heaven. Now, if you'll turn back with me to Genesis 17, we want to walk through this wonderful passage of scripture. Uh, let's begin with Genesis 17, verse 1. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, almost 100, the Lord appeared to Abram. And let me just say this. Uh, does God still speak to his people today? He absolutely does. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is that God will still speak to his people if they'll take the time to listen. But before the word of God came into existence, like in the days of Abraham, God would meet directly with his people and verbally, audibly, they would converse with each other. Now we've got the word of God and the spirit of God, and God will still speak to those who take the time to listen. Just be still and know that he's God. He'll speak grace to your heart. He'll speak words to your heart. Uh, uh, there are times he'll speak something to my heart that I know that's the will of God, and it's a great source of encouragement to me. But thank God for his eternal word. Thank God for prayer, for the privilege of talking with God and for God speaking to us through his word. But in those days, God would meet directly with his servants. And this is what he said. We're in 17, one of Genesis. He said to Abraham, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou blameless. We come back to that wonderful name for the Lord, uh, El Shaddai. El Shaddai uh, means the almighty God. He has all power. Uh, and he controls all things. And that's why you don't have to worry about what's going on in our world today. God is sovereign God, and he's putting all the pieces together for our ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. Aren't you glad he's sovereign God? He is still in charge. And uh, I, 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 like, I like the description of the name El Shaddai, which appears some 48 times in the word of God. It means literally he's the God who's more than enough. Just as I shared a moment ago, uh, for you, precious child of God, like he just, you realize God loves you just as much as he loved Abraham. God loves you the same as he loved King David or his great servants in the Old Testament. God loves you as much as he loved the apostle Paul, the apostle John, any of the great saints of God over the centuries. God loves you the same. He loves you totally, absolutely, and unconditionally. And there's nothing you can ever do to make him love you any less or make you love you anymore. And it's the goodness of God, the Bible says, uh, leads us to repentance. But he is El Shaddai in our experience. That means literally 
He's almighty God. He has all power. He is the God who is more than enough. And whatever we face, whatever you go through, precious child of God, there are a lot of things in my life I've not been able to handle over the years. And I praise God for that because it made me depend on God that much more. There's never been anything I've ever gone through in my Christian walk since I was eight years old. I've never gone through anything uh, that uh, God did not handle for me. There's some things I would never want to go through again, but I look back and I thank God I went through those things because those things, those trials, those tribulations make us more dependent on the Lord. And then the Lord says, walk before the walk before me. And in the King James, it says, uh, be thou perfect. Now, again, we've already talked about that. The only perfect person was the Lord Jesus and uh, Adam and Eve before they sinned were the only human beings who were perfect. But that was very short lived because then they sinned. And, and, but Jesus was absolutely perfect in all his ways. So he's not talking about sinless perfection. The word there perfect means to be blameless, to be blameless. And again, we go back to the fact when God looks at us, we have been declared 100% righteous. Oh, mercy. And, and you know your heart and I know my heart. I know uh, how sinful I am. But God doesn't look at us that way. Our sins have been washed away through the precious blood of Christ. In the justice of God, even those sins we haven't committed have been forgiven. And then when we do sin in our daily walks as a child of God, we go to our Heavenly Father as our uh, for parental forgiveness not to maintain our salvation, but to maintain our wonderful fellowship with the Lord. And, and first John tells us under the pen of the apostle John, that truly our fellowship is with the father and his son, Christ Jesus. The greatest privilege of my life is to live every day in fellowship with God. Uh, the greatest privilege of your life is to live every day in fellowship with the living God, to realize he's always there. I was talking with a precious sign of God today by telephone. And she was talking about what that means to her to realize he's always there and he's always there for us. No matter what we go through, aren't you glad he's El Shaddai? He's the God who's more than enough and that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. Now look at, at verse two of Genesis 17. God is speaking to his servant Abraham and he says, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. The word covenant, there are many important words in the word of God, but the word covenant is one of the most important words because the Old Testament and the New Testament are really the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the word covenant, there's so many covenants in the Bible. There's the Edenic covenant before Adam and Eve sinned. There's the Adamic covenant after they sinned. There's the Noahic covenant with Noah that he'll never again destroy the earth with a flood. There is the Abrahamic covenant that he made with Abraham. There's the Davidic covenant that he made with King David. But folks, we're not under those. That's the old covenant. And praise God. The Old Testament is just as much the word of God as the New Testament. But it's primarily God's covenant with the nation of Israel. But that word covenant is such an important word in the Hebrew. It involves to be cut, be cut because there was the sacrifice of the animals, the blood, and the New Testament, and we're under the New Testament, New Covenant. Jesus said the New Testament is the new covenant in my blood. And again, we go back to the love of our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus. Uh, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that we, the children of men, might become uh, the children of God. And you think about, as we talked about last Sunday morning, you think about how uh, precious babies are born today and we love them and we treasure them. They grow up so fast and praise God they do. And they're born to live. Every baby is born to live. They don't always live. Some have some pre-existing condition and God takes them on, but most are born to live. But the Lord Jesus Christ was born to die. He said the son of man has come uh, to give his life as a ransom for many. And I love that word ransom. Uh, it has to do with the fact that the devil has kidnapped us and, and Jesus paid the ransom to set us free. And because you know, and love Jesus, because he paid the ransom price. Oh, precious child of God, you are free, free indeed. And we're under the new covenant, the new covenant 
of his blood. Now, let me just read for you verses three through eight. Verses three through eight. We're in Genesis 17. And, and God is speaking to Abraham. And he still speaks to us primarily through praying the word. We speak to him in prayer. He speaks to us through the word. But there are other times he'll just speak to you in your heart. He'll give you a word from him that just blesses you and encourages you. And, and no matter what you face, he, he's there for you. And, and you can go to his word and he'll have a word of encouragement for you. While it's the word of God for the redemption of the, uh, the fallen human race, it's God's word to his children in meeting the special needs in our everyday life. Whatever you face, whatever you go through, he is El Shaddai. He is the God who's more than enough. And verse three says that Abram, and we're getting to the point where God's getting ready to change Abram's name to Abraham. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And then look at verse five. He says, the Lord says to Abram, neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram. And Abram means exalted father. But thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. Now think about that. Abraham, a father of multitude is what that means. He is the father of a multitude. You think about who all has come from Abraham. Uh, of course, the Jews came from Abraham. The Arabs came from Abraham. And in a sense, spiritually, every born again believer has come from Abraham. We trace our, our generation, we can back, of course, all the way to Adam, but spiritually to Abraham, because the Lord Jesus Christ was born uh, of the tribe of Judy, of tribe of Judah, excuse me, and uh, not only born of the tribe of Judah, but he was uh, born to assume the throne of David. And the throne of David is an eternal throne. And that Jesus one day will rule as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, and we'll rule and reign with Christ uh, for 1,000 years on this earth as it is after uh, the revelation. And then this earth is reserved for judgment under fire. And out of the burnt elements of this earth, the Lord Jesus will create a new earth and the heavenly city will come down and rest on this new earth. And that's where we're going to live forever. And when you think about that, what a mighty savior is Jesus, our savior. And verse six, look with me, please at verse six. And God says unto Abraham, I'll make the exceeding fruitful and I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee. We've talked about that and they have come out of Abraham and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed. We talked about the Jews primarily here, but spiritually it's talking about the body of Christ because Jesus was born of, uh, of the tribe of Judah, tribe of Judah and uh, of the seed of Abraham uh, for many generations for an exceeding everlasting covenant. I'm going to be God unto thee and to thy seed after thee, to thy descendants after thee. And then look at that wonderful promise that he gives to the Lord and the Lord gives to Abraham that, that fellowship they're sharing as Abraham is just in awe, I'm sure, as God is speaking directly to him. And the Lord says to Abraham in verse eight, and I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Let me read for you the comments here uh, from the King James study Bible. And I appreciate this second edition that Chad and Tammy gave me, it's got a lot of wonderful helps in it. But listen to what the King James Study Bible says concerning the land of Canaan. That's always been an issue. It's been an issue and President Trump moved the city uh, capital of Jerusalem from the city of Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It's where it should be. But you think about the land of Canaan. God gave that to Abraham. And it's going to be their possession throughout at least the millennium and really throughout all of eternity on the new earth. Uh, and listen to what the King James study Bible sacred edition says, since the covenant is everlasting and includes possession of Canaan, 
It guarantees Israel the right of possession as an earthly inheritance forever. God is the landlord who gives the title deed to Israel, his son. Thus, the Jews have a rightful claim to this land as long as the earth shall stand. And that is so true. And we praise God. Uh, they're in possession of part of it now. Uh, they won't possess it all, what God promised Abraham. Uh, they've never uh, possessed all of that land, but they will during the millennium. It will be divided among the 12 tribes. Every, every inch of land God promised Abraham, it will be divided among the 12 tribes of Israel. The temple will be rebuilt and shallow in the midst of the holy oblation, Ezekiel tells us. And, and the sacrifices will be offered again, not in anticipation of the sacrifice of Jesus, but in celebration of the sacrifice of Jesus. Aren't you glad, precious child of God, that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, has washed away all of our sins. Now, I want to read for you just a moment, verses 9 through 14, but I want to read some notes to you. Warren Wearsby was a great Baptist pastor, but he was a Bible scholar. And, and I'm going to read some of his comments on uh, this passage of Scripture in chapter 17. Again, we're going back to the names of Abraham and Sarah being changed. But he, Wearsby writes these words, between chapter 16 and chapter 17, there are 13 years of silence between Ishmael's birth and the events of chapter 17. God had to wait for Abraham and Sarah to die to self so that his resurrection power might be displayed in their lives. Folks, that's such an important word. God wants to live his life through you today as his child. But you have to, in mercy, my, my life verse as a student at Columbia Bible College back in the 60s, I would hear students uh, talking about uh, God gave them a life verse. And, quote, and I asked the Lord to give me a life verse, and he gave me Galatians 2.20. And almost every day I still quote it in my prayer time, where it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives his life in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I hope you'll ask God to give you a life first. He'll give you a life first. That doesn't mean that uh, the rest of the word of God is any less important. In fact, it's even more important because he's giving that one verse that will be just a, a barometer for the intensity uh, of your spiritual life. But Precious child of God, just like Abraham and Sarah, before God can do through us, and this is an everyday experience. Paul said, I die daily. For God to live through us every day, we have to die daily. And just let Jesus, by his sweet spirit, live his wonderful life through us. And Wiersbe continues to talk about the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Let me read to you again what he says. We talked about that, but that's so important. He is almighty God. Uh, not anything too hard for him to handle in your life. And he delights to bring us into situations where we trust him for the situation and he gives us his peace and he takes care of the situation for us. He is the all sufficient one. And Wisby continues to write, know the repetition of my covenant in this chapter. Uh, it's fulfillment rests upon God, not upon man. Note too, the revealed and repeated, I wills of Jesus. I will. He's not only the great I am, he's the great I will. He's the great I am. He's without beginning, without end, but he is the great I will. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Whatever you go through, when you go through the fire, he says, I won't let the fire be kindled against you. When you go through the water, I won't let the water overflow you. Aren't you glad he's not only the great I am? He is the great I will. And let me just read again what Wearsby says about the new names for Abram and Sarai. Abram means high father. Abraham means father of a multitude. Sarai, S-A-R-A-I, which was Sarah's original name, is said to mean contentious. But Sarah means a princess, a princess. Their new names were preparation for the new blessing about to enter their homes. Listen to this comment. This is so true. And sometimes if you get a little frustrated with yourself saying, Lord, I, I just don't want to 
let any sin over overwhelm me. I have to deal with it every day, but thank God for victory in Jesus. Listen, you stand in good company. You stand in the company of all the saints of God through the ages from Adam forward until the last person who's going to be saved is saved at the end of the millennial reign. And that's the purpose of the millennium. But <clears throat> Wiersbe says only uh, the grace of God can take two idol-worshiping heathen and make kings and queens out of them. And he has done that. He has done that. He has taken us lost in our sin. And by the grace of God, we have become who we are. Let me just read for you verses 9 through 14. Verses 9 through 14 in Genesis 17. If you got your Bible open, follow along with me, please. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. What a wonderful word of assurance for you and me there. There's so many times we fail the Lord. And he knows that. He knows that. But aren't you glad Calvary covers it all? And, and whatever we go through, our hearts, we think about threefold salvation. We've talked that, about that a lot of times. But a salvation past justification, the sovereign act of God's grace, whereby he declares you 100% righteous through his finished work on the cross. Your spirit, your higher part, your new mate, has been regenerated and it's sealed by the Holy Spirit and precious child of God. You can't even sin in your spirit. Now we can sin in our flesh. We know that, don't we? Uh, and we can sin in our soul, our psyche, our mind, will, and emotion. But our spirit has been sealed by the Holy Spirit into the final day of redemption and all the demons of hell cannot break the seal. That's, that's why you have eternal security, uh, precious child of God. Your salvation and your security depend totally on Jesus. They don't depend on you and me. Aren't you glad? The one who has saved us is the one who keeps us saved. And unto him, the Bible says, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore, who eternally keeps us in, in his sovereign grace, in his hand, and his love. And aren't you glad that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. And now uh, let's, let's look at, uh, look at verse uh, uh, eight. Verse eight is a very key verse. And we've looked at that, but let's, let's look at that. And I will give to the end. I see there to thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, the land of Canaan belongs to the Jews. And God said unto Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant. And we know he failed. We know, and we're under the new covenant and we fail, but in our hearts, our hearts desire us to keep his covenant. And you know what? That doesn't depend on us. Now, we have discipline. We're to grow in grace. We're to daily judge ourselves and put it under the blood of Christ. I praise God he never gets tired of washing away uh, my sins uh, in, in, as my heavenly father to maintain my fellowship. Uh, but let, let's, let's go and look there at uh, verse 11. You shall, he says, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant uh, between me and you. That was a sign of the covenant between God and the Jews. And, and again, that's the Abrahamic covenant. That's under the Old Testament. We're under the new covenant. And we're going to share in just a moment, time permitting, that one of the problems uh, in the New Testament churches, these false teachers who were Jews, they, they're called Judaizers, they came in and they began to tell these Gentile Christians, it's not enough to believe in Jesus. You have to become a Jewish proselyte. And oh my, both the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul, their highest condemnation uh, was not upon unsafe people. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He came to, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be set free. But the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus condemned these false teachers who, who were teaching, you have to become a Jewish proselyte. In fact, in Philippians 3, Paul calls these false teachers a dog. And Brother Glenn and I were talking about that a while ago, that it's not some wonderful household pet that you have. Those are, those are the things that we enjoy. He's talking about these wild, vicious bands of dogs that would just go throughout the area and, and destroy what they could destroy. He's saying spiritually, these Judaizers are like these wild dogs. They want to destroy uh, you uh, spiritually. And... and and verse 12 says, and he that is eight 
days old shall be circumcised. Now, why eight days old? Well, that's, that's a, a number of the resurrection to begin with, and that's very important. But it has a practical, physical reason because a little boy's blood uh, coagulates uh, best uh, at eight than at any other time. It, it, it uh, uh, clots best at eight days old for a baby boy, and that's when they were circumcised in the Old Testament as a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, let me just read for you on down through uh, verse 13 through verse 19. He that is born in thy house, he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, he'll be cut off from the covenant. And God said unto Abraham, as for Sarah thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarah, but Sarah, which means princess, shall her name be. You think about how God took these two people who were lost, who were really pagans, who were heathen. And by the grace of God, they become two of the greatest people in the history of, of uh, the word of God. And, and that's how he works with us, always by his grace. And uh, he goes ahead and he wants to emphasize, emphasize to Abraham, uh, Ishmael is not the one I'm talking about. Sarah is going to have a child. And I will bless her, verse 16, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I'll bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face, and he laughed. He laughed. Uh, uh, and listen to this. This is really unbelief. This is really unbelief. He, uh, he laughed and said, in his heart shall a, a child be born unto him that is a 100 years old, and uh, shall Sarah, that is 90 years old, bear? Well, nothing is too hard with God. And, and Abraham sort of forgot that his own father was 130 years old when uh, Abraham was born. And, and so, but this is Abraham in unbelief. And that's one thing I love about the candidness of the scripture. The Bible teaches us these great men of God and people of God in the Old Testament, New Testament, were sinners just like we are. But they were covered with the grace of God. And we're covered with the grace of God. We fail the Lord in some way every day, but that doesn't do anything but just bring his grace because we confess that he was, he washes that away for our parental forgiveness, not judicial forgiveness. All of our sins have been forgiven and the justice of God, even those sins we haven't forgiven. And we go to God daily for parental forgiveness to just maintain our fellowship because that is the prize daily in the Christian life that our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Christ Jesus. And uh, God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And then he goes on to talk in the rest of the chapter about Ishmael and about the importance of circumcision. And I want to read some more from the Wearsby. Then I want to close with reading a couple of passages uh, in the New Testament. Uh, Wiersbe says this about the new sign. This is the first mention of circumcision in the Bible. Nowhere else does the Old Testament teach that circumcision uh, saves a man. It is but the outward symbol of the covenant between God and man, between God and Abraham uh, in the old covenant. We're not under the old covenant, we're in the new covenant. It was to remind them of the inward circumcision of the heart. That's what counts, that God has taken away the old heart that was dead in trespasses and sins. He's given us a new heart that is alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as we've already said, is sealed by the Holy Spirit, precious child of God, until your final day of redemption. Aren't you glad, precious child of God, that the best things are yet to come for us? And said so the ritual is to be performed on the eighth day. We've talked about that. Sad to say, the Jews depended on the fleshly ritual and, and not the inner reality. Believers today are in the new covenant and are the true circumcision, which is experienced spiritually through the death of Christ. Let me close by reading to you. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And uh, Romans chapter 4 and the entire book of Romans is a great explanation of salvation. I've said it many times. Let me just say it again. 
that the greatest book in the Bible telling you how to be saved is the gospel of John. The greatest book in the Bible telling you how to have assurance of salvation is the book of first John. But the greatest book in the Bible explaining the doctrine of salvation is the book of Romans. And talking with a newborn believer, the first two books of the Bible I'd recommend they study are John and Romans because John tells you how to be saved by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans tells you what it means to be saved, to be set free from the bondage of sin and death. And let me just close before we pray. I just want to read for you from Romans chapter four, which is really talking about we have our, our new heart, our new heart, spiritual circumcision. We might say that's what Paul calls it. And Romans chapter four, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. What saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham was saved many, many, many years before uh, circumcision came into existence. And that's why this is so refuting these false Judaizing teachers who came into the churches of the New Testament and, and were telling them really a lie. And, and Paul says in Galatians one, let them be anathema, these false teachers who are saying you have to become a Jewish proselyte. Aren't you glad Jesus certainly came to be the Jewish Messiah, but Jesus came to be the savior of the whole world, Jew and Gentile. And that's why dear friend, Jesus is your savior and he's my savior. And let me continue reading and then we'll pray. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but he was not, not, not before God, Paul says. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. The moment you trusted Jesus as your savior, God took your sins away and he imputed to you, he gave to you the very righteousness of Jesus. For God made him to be sin for us and you know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Aren't you glad today you're dressed in the righteousness of Jesus? But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified, the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. When you believe on Jesus, your faith is counted to you for eternal righteousness. God dresses you in the very righteousness of God. And let me just define it for you again. Justification is the sovereign act of God's grace. Sovereign means man has nothing to do with it. It's the sovereign act of God's grace, whereby he declares you 100% righteous through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Even as David described the blessedness of man who under whom God imputed righteousness without works. Aren't you glad, precious child of God, that salvation is not something you do for Jesus. It's something Jesus does for us. Salvation is not only something, it's someone. Salvation is Jesus. Verse 7, uh, Romans 4 says, uh, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed, that means perfectly happy. The source of your joy is not what Jesus is doing through you, but what Jesus has already done for you. All precious child of God, your sins are gone. You've been given the very righteousness of Jesus. Paul writes in verse eight, Romans four, blessed, perfectly happy is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's you, precious child of God. That's you because of Christ. You're covered with the righteousness of Jesus. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the un uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision? No, no, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Or, and let me just read verse 10 again. Uh, how was this then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. He was reckoned to be righteousness years before uh, that ceremonial observance 
came into existence as a sign of the covenant with Abraham. I love this. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness of the faith that he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, uh, though they be not circumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed unto them also. You've been given the very righteousness of Jesus. Does depend on what you do. It depends on what Christ has done in your faith in Christ. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. This is just, again, this is the main battle in the New Testament churches uh, that these false teachers came in. They, they were Judaizers, and they came in with this false teaching. And this is where the strongest condemnation in the New Testament falls. Uh, the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul, they love sinners, but they despise these false teachers and the ways of false teachers. And then listen to this, for the promise that he should be the father and heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed. Listen to this, but through the law, but through the righteousness of, of faith. Not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We are the children of God by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In our hands, no price we bring, simply to his cross we cling. What a mighty Savior is Jesus our Savior. What a mighty Savior is Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for this time together tonight. And thank you, Father, that we can, even when for wisdom's sake and for safety's sake, we're not assembling together at the house of God. And we will, we'll be doing this at least through the first Sunday in January, and then we'll make a decision then. I thank you for the wisdom, sweet Holy Spirit, you've given to our church council, that we're going to do what's best for our people, what protects our people. But Father, we live in an age with mass communication. I'm so thankful for the people in our church who know how to do this so that we can still fellowship around the word of God in prayer. And thank you for the richness of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Just as you taught uh, to Abraham and through Abraham, it's not anything that man does. It depends totally on what Christ has done. And again, we say, Lord Jesus, what a wonderful Savior you are. And we pray our prayer and we believe in Jesus' name. Amen.